The chest alone made of bronze is worth some $35,000. And inside there are Aztec golden coins. There's precious, precious jewels and gems. There are, there's even a, a, a golden nugget the size of a fist from the gold rush. And this is a real treasure. It was put in a real bronze chest hid somewhere in the Rocky Mountains by a man named Forrest Fenn. Forrest Fenn was this art dealer in New Mexico who decided that he was going to do something different. He was going to take some of the best pieces of his collection and he was going to put them in a chest and hide them away. And then he wrote a book called The Thrill of the Chase. And in it, he wrote a poem that supposedly has nine clues to help whoever would seek this treasure find it. Now, if you look this up online and you read the poem, I think that it is worthless for helping you actually find the treasure. And no one yet has found Forrest Fenn's treasure, but it's uh, valued somewhere between one to two million dollars sitting somewhere in the Rockies, just treasure waiting for the taking. When Jesus described the kingdom of God, he said, it's like this. It's like a treasure that's hidden in a field. Now, we're in week two of a series called It's Like This out of the parables in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I'm so glad that you've joined us today. We're going to look at a parable each week in this series. And last week, we kind of set a foundational definition for the word parables. Parables are ingeniously simple word pictures with profound spiritual lessons. That's what we established last week as we kicked off in week one. And now here in week two, we're, we're going to see more of these profound spiritual lessons in what is perhaps the most simple of word pictures that we'll look at this whole series. So with that in mind, grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. In just a second, we're going to be in verse 44. But but while you're turning there, I want to welcome everybody who is with us. If you're in person at one of our campuses, maybe you're at West Fort Worth or South Lake or live at North Richland Hills, I'm so glad that you have joined us today. Or if you're watching or listening online or maybe later on podcast, thank you for spending some time with us. And if you're brand new, maybe new to the hills or, or just new new to church, new to faith, I'm especially glad that you've joined us today as you're going to hear some foundation foundational truths, teaching from Jesus, but also teaching about Jesus. And I believe it's going to enrich all of us. So with that in mind, we're going to start in Matthew 13, verse 44, as Jesus tells a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, these two parables, they act kind of kind of side by side as a pair that teach us something about about the kingdom of God from Jesus's perspective. But we're going to take each of them one at a time. So here one more time, the kingdom, uh, the parable of the, the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, I know that you and I are not the original audience of this parable. 
And so we're hearing things with a modern Western mindset for the most part, while Jesus is talking to people who lived uh, in, in biblical times in, uh, in, in the East, in the Middle East. So let me just kind of help a couple of things out, because there's some questions that rise up really quickly when you hear a parable like this. The first is, why would there be treasure hidden in a field? Like this sounds like a pirate story all of a sudden. But in fact, this was very common in Jesus's day. There were no banks. There wasn't a place where you could store your money, where you could kind of safely put your, your, your store of wealth. And so what families would do is they would take their most precious items, their, their golden coins, whatever it was, and, and they would find a place where only the family knew where it was buried so that no one else could take it. The other reason that this would happen is because there were a lot of wars in this region. And when one army came and conquered a particular region, they would go into the villages and the cities and they would pillage. They would try and take whatever you had, whatever precious gems or stones or gold. And so if you knew a war was happening and you knew it was likely that the, the conquering army was going to come in, then you would hide away your wealth by burying it. But let's say a family, they get captured by this army and taken away and their treasure is still buried somewhere in a field, still hidden somewhere to be found. So Jesus describes this reality that that even though it's a little bit unlikely, it's still a possibility that someone would happen upon a, a treasure. And so just imagine that there's there's somebody who who owns this this land and yet they don't realize what was hidden there. Maybe the war before. And so they have a worker out there, perhaps, who is working. And and then they happen to see that because of the the rock and the dust that's been moved out of the way, there's there's this thing poking up and they realize it's a treasure. It's someone's treasure trove that they've buried. Now, this is the next thing that comes up for, for a lot of us. We hear this story and we think, wait a second. So he hides it. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has to buy this field. And our question is, is this ethical? Like, is this guy sketchy for what he's doing because he wants to to cover it back up so the owner of the field won't find out? And then he goes and sells everything he has so he can buy this field and get this treasure. Is it okay that he did this? We ask this question, and, and according to rabbinic law and tradition, it was okay. There was kind of a, like a, like a finder's keepers type rule. It was, it was a little more nuanced than that. But basically, if you found a treasure, that was out, like not inside of someone's home, but buried somewhere else, and you didn't own that land, but you purchased that land, then you're not being unethical for doing that. So here's the problem. For both of these questions, they totally miss the point of the parable. This is not a parable about ethics, and it's not a parable about what to do with your money. This is a parable that is about the value of the kingdom of God and the joy that it produces when we find this So let me start with this word treasure that Jesus uses. He uses this word treasure a lot in his ministry. In fact, in the original language, this word treasure, it's the same as when Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven. Or it's the same, it's the exact same word. Same word as when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Exact same word. And when Jesus meets a young, rich man, who comes to him and says, how can I gain eternal life? And according to this rich man, he's followed all of God's commands. So he's wondering, what does he need to do to, to finally seal the deal and, and gain eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then 
you'll have treasure in heaven. Same word treasure that he uses here in this parable. And and in that scenario, this rich young man who hears this call from Jesus to sell everything that he owns, he goes away sad is what the text says, because he's rich and he didn't want to give it up. But that is the opposite of what happens in this parable. Did you did you notice what happens? He comes upon this treasure, then he hides it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. And, and there's something about the kingdom of God that Jesus is communicating when he emphasizes in his joy. He sold everything to get this field with the treasure in it. And that's this. In the kingdom, joy precedes and propels sacrifice. That in the kingdom of God, joy precedes and propels all forms of sacrifice. And yet, we, we miss this, but it's right there in Scripture. It's not just in this parable. When, when the Apostle Paul, a, a leader in the church, a missionary, he's writing to a group of Christians, he even lays out this order when he says, So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. You see, we, we get this all mixed up. According to Jesus' parable, joy comes first. And then comes obedience or sacrifice. Joy is what starts. But a lot of us mix it up. And we think in the Christian life that sacrifice precedes and fuels joy. Like you got to do the hard stuff first before you can get to joy. Like life here on earth, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be a burden and a chore. And it's not going to be a lot of fun. But eventually we'll have joy someday in heaven. But not right now. Because right now it's not fun. That's essentially what we begin to say. And we boil down and water down the message of the gospel into a list of do's and don'ts and mostly don'ts. Things that you need to change about your life, things you need to clean up, things you need to stop doing, the partying you need to quit, the drinking you need to stop, the cussing you need to stop. Now, I'm not saying that all those things are okay, and you need to keep doing all those things. But when we focus on those first, we miss the order because Walking with Jesus is not some burden and eventually there's joy in heaven. The Christian life is bookended with joy. It's supposed to start there. The joy of receiving the gospel, of understanding that God so loved you. He sent, he he so loved the whole world. He sent Jesus to die, to pay for our sins so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and not perish. That brings joy. Joy that that we realize that there is a hope that we could never attain on our own. Joy in realizing there is a God who loves us and accepts us, not because of us, but because of Jesus. This should bring joy. And you have to start with joy before you move into the obedience and the sacrifice and the life change. Because when we mix this up, then everything is a burden and a chore. and, And it's not an accurate representation of the Christian life. In the kingdom, joy precedes and propels all sacrifice, all life change, all obedience, all hardship. And then we get to an even greater joy in heaven. It is joy to joy with Jesus. Because when we find this treasure, that's what it produces. And you may be asking, well, then how how does this treasure produce this joy in us, this treasure of the kingdom? And, And let's read the next parable so that. So that we can flesh this out a little bit more. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away 
and sold everything he had and bought it. At the beginning of the year 2016, just the beginning of this year, someone discovered the largest blue star sapphire in the world. Here's a picture. So this was discovered in Sri Lanka, and the person who discovered it and and purchased it was anonymously interviewed by the BBC. Uh, and, And this is what they had to say. The moment I saw it, I decided to buy. I suspected that it it might be the world's largest blue star sapphire. So I took a risk and bought it. Now, that original article estimated the value of the blue star sapphire at somewhere around one hundred million dollars. Just crazy money. But then I read a more recent article and it it estimated the value at three hundred million dollars. So in a short time, it had tripled in estimated value because of just how rare and special and large this this blue star sapphire was. And the merchant in Jesus's parable, this merchant has something in common with the owner of that star sapphire, because that owner had a trained eye and looked and said, I think that might be the biggest one in the world. And the same thing with this merchant. Unlike the person in the first parable who kind of happens upon this treasure and just kind of stumbles onto it, seemingly, this merchant has a trained eye. And they have a collection of fine pearls. According to scholars, this type of merchant is most likely a wholesaler. And so they're wheeling and dealing and trading in pearls all the time. But then they come upon this one pearl that's perfect. It's, it's, it's immaculate. It is, its value can't be calculated. It just, the, the, the pristine nature of this one pearl. And so, you know what the merchant does? The merchant goes and liquidates everything they have. Which, from a business standpoint, is crazy talk. Like, nobody, nobody in business does that. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to diversify your interests. You're supposed to, you know, keep, keep a diverse and, and wide-ranging portfolio. Like, you don't put all your money on just one thing. You have multiple things as a kind of safety net. But this merchant does what seems insane and sells off their whole collection and everything they have just to get this one pearl. Because ultimately, for this merchant... Nothing was worth keeping if it would keep him from getting the pearl. And Jesus is communicating with both of these parables, talking about treasure, talking about a pearl, talking about these rare, valuable items. He's communicating that the kingdom is the one thing worth losing everything to get. That that there's nothing more valuable than the kingdom and it has immense worth. And it's the one thing that's worth losing everything for makes me think about a statement that the Apostle Paul made. He was writing to a group of Christians, this same missionary Paul I mentioned earlier, and he's writing to a group of Christians, and he's writing from prison. So he's not in a great place. Things in his ministry, by earthly standards, are not working out very well, but he's still full of joy, and he's writing to them, and he begins to list out his religious pedigree. The fact that that he was a Jew among Jews and he got to train with a rabbi named Gamaliel, which he's he's one of the most revered rabbis of all time. And, And just his religious resume looks incredible and his accomplishments and his accolades. They're like a collection of incredible pearls. And who would want to trade that? And then Paul turns everything and and he says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. For Paul, nothing was worth keeping if it would keep him from Jesus. And he was ready to lose everything. You think I've got a great life? You think everything's lined up for me? You think I have a nice collection, a nice life set up, a, a good dealt, uh, dealt of, uh, hand of cards? Excuse me. Then you've missed it because what I ultimately want more than anything else is Jesus. It makes me think of a man named William Borden. Here's a picture of William he was heir to the Borden Dairy family fortune. And if you're familiar with Borden Dairy, like you see that in grocery stores, this, this company today is worth something like $2 billion. And he grew up as an heir to this fortune early on. He's the kind of guy who grew up and he could have had anything that he wanted to. But what William Borden wanted most was to become a missionary. And at a pretty young age, he, he, he made this public to his friends and family. And everyone said, William, what are you thinking? You, you're heir to this incredible fortune. You're going to throw all that away to go be a missionary? Don't waste your life like that, was essentially what he heard back. But he was, he was confident in what God had called him to, and he wrote in his Bible the words, No Reserves. Borden went to college. He graduated from Yale. And then when he when he left Yale, he got a bunch of like high end, great paying job offers and he turned all of them down because he had set his sights on a particular Muslim people group in the country of China. This one particular people group he was going to go and minister to. And in his Bible, after graduating, he wrote two more words beside no reserves. He wrote no retreats. And on his way to China, William Borden stopped in Egypt and he got sick. Spinal meningitis. And his illness worsened rapidly. But just everything went bad real fast. And within a month of getting sick, never having even reached China or that people group, William Borden died at 25 years old. And you think, what a waste. And what a tragedy. What a wasted life, wasted opportunity. But I don't think that's how William Borden saw it because he wrote two more words in his Bible before he died. Underneath no reserves and no retreats, he wrote no regrets. Because for William Borden, nothing was worth keeping if it would keep him from Jesus. And are you saying, Taylor, you have to sell, you're saying I have to sell everything? Are you saying that I have to give up everything? I have to get rid of my whole life? Look, these parables are not ultimately about what you need to do in response to the kingdom, what specifically you need to sell or get rid of. It is about the immense worth and value of the kingdom. The parables are, these two parables are about the, the fact that when you see the worth of the kingdom of God, then nothing else compares. Everything else seems worthless compared to the worth and value of the kingdom of God. That's how Paul saw it. That's how William Borden saw it. And so I want to take you from William Borden to the Guardians of the Galaxy. How's that for a transition? Now, if you've seen the movie, The Guardians of the Galaxy, then you know that, that there's, a, there's kind of an orb that has everybody's attention in the film. 
and uh, and they're all trying to get this orb. And inside the orb, here's a picture. You can see that there is an infinity stone. And that's that's what that, that's the whole big deal in the film is trying to get their hands on this infinity stone or keep it out of the wrong hands. And here's why, because the infinity stone is it, it's immensely rare in the Marvel Universe. It uh, it has incredible value, like it's worth billions of units in uh, in their currency. And more than that, the infinity stone possesses great power. And so if you'll endure, if you'll if you'll indulge me with what is a little bit of a, of a nerdly comparison I would say that Jesus is the treasure in the kingdom in the same way that the infinity stone acts in Guardians of the Galaxy. Rarity, value, and power. These are things all tied up in Jesus. Now, the first, I, I say rarity, and you may wonder, like, what? why would you say rarity tied to Jesus? Like, he's not a collect, collectible. But here's what I mean. You can line up together the philosophies and religions and worldviews of this life like strings on a pearl necklace and jesus alongside all those others is going to stand out as most rare see jesus he's not just a great teacher i mean he, he is an incredible teacher who has impacted the the outlook of the modern western world he's an incredible teacher who's impacted billions of people but more than that more than any of these others he claims to be god himself and so you can't just write him off as a great teacher He claims to be God. And on top of that, he was willing to go to a cross and die with this claim on his life, knowing that God would raise him from the dead, which means Jesus is also rare because he has an empty tomb. The other great thinkers in history, they have tombs and people go to them and and they know where they're buried. But with Jesus... In Jerusalem, nobody is asking where he's buried. They're they're asking which tomb did he leave? The argument is not whether or not he rose from the grave. It's which grave did he leave? Because there's two different sites that people talk about. Because Jesus, he is most rare. And more than that, Jesus is most valuable. What he offers is most valuable. But not just in a vague sense that he has everything and owns everything. I also mean in a very personal sense, because what Jesus offers is eternal life, not only to the whole world, but to you. And if I were to put before you the greatest treasure trove in the history of the world and say, you can own this, but you have to die right now. Like it will technically be yours, but you have to give your life. Or you can walk away and not have that treasure, but you can keep your life. I'm betting that just about all of us would be willing to walk away from the treasure in order to stay alive. What's the point in having the treasure if you're just going to die immediately? We, we want to live. That's what's ultimately most valuable to us. And what Jesus came and the gospel that he presented, the gospel that is spread all over the world, is a gospel that says, look, you are ultimately facing death someday. And it is a death that, that you cannot escape But what you can experience is a rebirth and a new life, an eternal life through Jesus Christ. So personally, in terms of value, what Jesus offers is of ultimate value and worth. Because it's specifically, personally attributed to you. That you get the life that will live forever. The life Jesus has won for you because Jesus died the death that you ultimately deserved. Jesus is not only most rare, he's not only most valuable, but like the infinity stone, 
He is most powerful. In the movie, everybody wants this stone. When, once they realize what it can do, once they realize the power that the person who has will wield, they want this stone because of its power. But Jesus, he has the ultimate power. He came to earth with all authority from heaven. He performed miracles. He had dominion over creation. I mean, he, he, he could make a storm calm and, and he, and he could heal diseases. He could drive away demons. He had absolute power. And yet, even with all that authority and power, he was willing to die knowing that through the power of God, he would rise from the grave and prove not only power over creation, not only power over disease, but power over death, power over evil. And eventually, at the end of the age, we will see Jesus' victory fully consummated. And death will die. And evil will be washed away. And every sad thing will come untrue because of the power that is in God and Jesus Christ. He is. He is the jewel in the kingdom. And for a second, I want to just talk to somebody who maybe you've been agreeing with me this entire sermon But there's something that maybe you just don't get. When I talk about and when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and being welcomed into this kingdom, this is not some place. This isn't this isn't like Mount Olympus. This is this is something that you can access right now. A reality that's that's being welcomed into every day of your life. And and more than that, Jesus wants to be part of every day of your life. And coming into the kingdom means realizing that he is what's most valuable and that keeping anything is not worth keeping if it keeps you from Jesus. Which brings me to my second question. Maybe you've been agreeing with me this whole sermon and yet there are things in your heart that are not for sale. Because ultimately we have to acknowledge that that both the man who found the treasure and the merchant who found the pearl, they go and they get rid of everything because they want the one thing that matters. And for so many of us, it is difficult, so difficult to acknowledge that there are corners of our heart that are not for sale. And so I want you to wrestle with this question this week. What have I been unwilling to lose to gain more of God? What, what is it? Is it tied to your pride, to the fact that Ever acknowledging that you've messed up or that or that you've got problems like that's just that's not something that you're willing to walk into. And it just seems like a chore. And maybe you've missed the joy that would lead you to be willing to say, look, I'm, I'm broken and I need help. Are you are you unwilling to sell your sense of authority in your life? That you don't want anybody to tell you how you need to act or what you need to do. And the idea of getting in on the good things from the gospel, that, that's great, but I'm, I'm not really willing to, to sell my, my spot as ruler over my whole life. Because when we're baptized, we are dying to ourselves and allowing Jesus to take the throne in our heart. We're selling that real estate and giving it up to him. I don't know what it is for you that, that you've been unwilling to sell, but, but I pray that God would show you the ultimate and great worth that is in Jesus Christ alone. Because in him, when we catch the worth of Jesus, 
the value, the rarity, the power. When we understand that, we're willing to lose everything else. We're willing to lose our reputation. We're willing to lose our homes. We're willing, like like William Borden, to lose our potential future. We're willing to lose anything if it means we get to have Christ. That's the reality that he's talking about in these parables that's promised to you through the hope of Jesus. Let me pray over you. God, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for his obedience to come and show us a new kingdom, a new reality that we get to live in, enveloped in the presence of God, aligned with your will, and full of joy from start to finish. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy, but it means when we realize what you've done for us, we are propelled into a life of service to you, to glorify you, knowing that ultimately we will find our most joy and fulfillment in you, not anything else. God, thank you for Jesus, the treasure. Let us see him as the ultimate treasure and everything else in our life as trinkets by comparison. And as we understand that reality, will you help each of us, not just as a church or as a group, but as individuals, as men and women, as sons and daughters of God, to submit to you all things, that everything's for sale, everything's up for grabs, and we don't, we don't want to hold on to anything else if it means that you slip through our fingers. God, we want to clutch and hold on to the kingdom, knowing it is of greatest value. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.